today uh, we are very excited because we're going to wrap up this series, and I've heard a lot of awesome feedback. I hope that you have been blessed and touched and challenged and hopefully changed, right, as we have begun to walk through this idea. If you look at that first point on your outline, we just said this, the butterfly effect is simple, right? It teaches us that a small change makes a big difference. A small change makes a big difference. And when we begin to implement change and we allow God to, through the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to change, things begin to happen in a supernatural rate. And the Lord really quickened in my heart. He said, Keith, this message really is a message of hope. Because the idea is really simple. We don't have to change everything, but if we can begin to change a few small things, all of a sudden there is a big difference that begins to happen in our life. Uh, we said, uh, actually, as we started out this series, we actually have been asking a question over the last four weeks, and here's the question. We're going to ask it again. Is there anything in your life that you would like to change? Is there anything in your life that you would like to change? And then I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to identify. Go ahead and kind of lock an image in your mind and, uh, and kind of lock into something. Here's an area of my life I'd like to see some change. And my prayer, let me just encourage you in this. My prayer is that you never... Uh, grow so complacent where you are that you stop desiring to grow and change. How many understand growth requires change, right? You can't grow and not change. And I, I can honestly say I'm looking at my life on a daily basis and I'm identifying areas in my life where I want to grow and where I want to change. And my prayer today is as you think about your life personally, spiritually, relationally, financially, that you can identify, hey, here's an area today I, I want to just think about. Maybe I've been working on some things over the last four weeks, but maybe there's something fresh. Maybe something happened this week in your life, and you're like, you know, I really need to see a change in this area of my life. As you identify that today, we're going to walk through the principles of the Word of God today, and we're going to learn some very practical, applicable ways to implement real change in our lives and see God's work accomplished. Amen? So we said there's some good news, right? Here it is. The good news is you can change, right? You can change. God has given every human being the power of choice, and because you can choose, you can change. And we actually made that really bold statement, right? You get to choose the life that you live. You get to choose the life that you live. And we talked about the fact that other people's choices and decisions impact us and, and affect us. But the reality is, as we've also understood, that at the end of the day, it's your choice and your decision that determines your life. Other people don't actually get to determine your life. You get to determine the life that you live. Yes, their decisions impact us. Their decisions influence us. But at the end of the day, it is your choice and your decision that determines the life that you live because you get to choose what you're going to do in light of what other people do, right? Even then, you still have a choice. And Deuteronomy chapter 30 kind of taught us that principle. God said this in verse 19. He says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses, and now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live, right? God says, I give you the choice between life and death, blessing and curses. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. We talked about that, right? We said heaven and earth will honor the choices and decisions we make. And then God says, so here's the right answer, choose life. And then I love verse 20, right? Because in verse 20, God gives us a little bit more clarity because we, we said that, you know what, sometimes life gets uh, muddy, <laughs> Sometimes the choices don't seem really as clear as black and white and, and death and life. Sometimes you look at the choices and decisions you have to make and you're really challenged by what is the right thing 
to do. Well, in verse 20, God clarifies that. This is what he says. He says, you can make this choice, the choice of choosing life, by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. How do I choose life? I love God. Every time I choose to love God, every time I choose to obey God, every time I choose to commit myself to God's word, God's will, God's plan for my life, every time I do that, guess what I've done? I've chosen life. I've chosen the blessing. So when the water gets muddy and the lines get crossed and you're not really sure what you need to do, this is what you do. You choose God. You choose to love him. You choose to obey him. And you choose to commit yourself to him. And every time you do that, the muddy waters will become clear again. And all of a sudden you'll realize, hey, this was the right choice because I chose God, God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for my life. And out of that choice, I actually chose life and not death, blessing and not curses. Amen? Because God says we get to choose. Now, we talked about that there are actually four areas, right? Four areas uh, of change. Four areas that we get to uh, choose in. We talked about, number one, our thoughts. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, and our attitudes determine our lives, right? Four areas of change. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, our attitudes determine our lives. And we said a small change in any of these areas makes a big difference. So we said four weeks ago that you've got to change the way you think about the things you want to change, right? When you identify what do you want to change, first thing you have to do, you got to change the way you think about it. The second thing, you got to change what you say about it, right? you got to change what you say about the things you want to change. Why? Because death and life is in the power of the tongue. And then last week we learned that we actually have to change what we do, right? The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. By that definition, most people I know are insane. I mean, think about us, right? Think about, have you ever listened to people talk? We talk about we want to change and we want to change. And, and even as Christians, we take it to another level. Not only do we want to change, now we're praying for change, right? We're asking God to help us change. But guess what? If you're not doing anything different today than you did yesterday, then nothing's going to change. Because the only way to change your harvest is to change the seeds that you sow. I've got to do something different in order to get something different if I want something to be different. Right? You are the catalyst of change. Nothing changes in your life until you do. Now, the problem is, is most of us want to try to change everybody else. Right? We want to change our family and our friends. We want to change our employer or our employees. And we just, we have this all, we, we spend a lot of time and energy and effort talking about if they would change. Right? Well, if they would just change, if they would do what they're supposed to do, if they would just act the way they're supposed to act, if my wife, if my husband, if my kids, if my boss, if my employees would just do what they were supposed to do, everything would be all right and I would be happy. How many know that's never going to happen? Why? Because you don't get to choose for them. They do. But if you'll begin to focus on the things you can change, which is you, you can change because you can choose. You can choose the thoughts you think, you can choose the words you speak, and you can choose the deeds or the actions that you do. And today we're going to take it another step forward, and we're going to talk about your attitude, my attitude, right? How many know attitude matters? Attitude is a small thing that definitely makes a big difference. And today I'm going to share with you two biblical attitudes. We're going to look at two attitudes from two different people. And I just want to encourage you in this. I'm just going to give you two attitudes from the Word of God today uh, because I believe these two attitudes have the power and potential to change every area of your life. 
If we can grab hold of these two attitude changes, how many of you understand, even if you're a positive person, you still need attitude adjustments? Right, I am by nature a positive person. I look at the glass, the glass is always half full, things are always good. You know, I'm seeing the positive things in people and the positive things in life. But I'm just going to tell you, even though I've got a positive attitude and that's the bent of my personality, I still need consistent, regular attitude adjustments. And we're going to talk about two attitudes from the Word of God that we're going to learn from two amazing characters in Scripture that if we'll apply these two attitudes, make these adjustments of our attitude in just two areas, it'll radically change your life. Why? Because attitude's a small thing that makes a really big difference. Amen? All right, so let's look at our first attitude. Let's look in the book of Numbers, chapter 14. Numbers 14, verse 24, the Bible says this, But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. My servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. Now, if you remember the story, it's the story of the 12 spies. God has, has promised them the promised land, the land of Canaan. He told them to send 12 spies into the land to go and spy out the land. Let me just tell you what God was not asking them to do. God was giving them a vision of their promise. But instead of getting a vision for their promise, they all, all they could see was the problem and the reason why they couldn't do what God called them to do. And the reality is that happens many times in our lives. Many times God will give you a vision for your life. God will give, a, give you a vision for your life. You'll have this idea, you'll have this dream, you'll have this thought. You ever had those thoughts, ideas? Maybe it's just an image of your family. Maybe it's peace and joy in the home. Maybe, maybe you're envisioning your marriage and y'all are just stronger and closer and more intimate than you've ever been. Maybe it's a financial picture of, of no longer living from paycheck to paycheck and, and being able to prosper and succeed and being able to bless other people. Whatever that vision is for your life, I believe those thoughts and ideas are God's visions and dreams for us. But what happens most of the time, like the children of Israel, God lets us spy out the land. God gives us an opportunity to see what he wants to do in our lives. And instead of focusing on the promise, all we can see is the problem. And we talk about, you know, I'm really praying and believing for this, but that will never happen in my life. Because... Right? Because, well, I can't ever do that because I don't have enough education. I can't ever do that because I don't have enough connections. I can't ever do that because our family is just divided and we've never really got along. And the reality is, is that when God gives you a vision of your future, it's not so you can see how big your giants are. It's so you can see how big his promise is. And if you're not careful, you'll focus in on the wrong thing, right? That's an ungodly attitude that causes you to focus on the problem instead of the promise and robs you of the fulfillment that God has for your life. So the Bible says Caleb had a different attitude than the others. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored, and his descendants will possess their full share of that land, their full share. Y'all say that with me, full share. If Caleb was going to get a full share, that means there were some people that weren't going to get a full share. I believe one of, the greatest, one of the greatest tragedies in our life is one day we're going to stand before God, and when we stand before God, we're going to get to see the full potential of what we were intended to be and what we were intended to do and what we were intended to accomplish, and then we're going to realize what we really did and what we really accomplished. I don't know about you. I want to get my full share. 
I want to get my full share. I want to get the fullness that God has for me, for my family, for our church, for your lives. I want to see the full share of God's promise manifested in our lives. We're going to see today attitude determines the difference, right? It is your attitude toward God, your circumstances, and your situation that's going to determine whether you're going to inherit the full share or whether you're only going to get a partial possession of what God intended for you. Why don't we just make up our minds today? We don't want a partial possession. We want a full share of what God has promised to us. So let's look in Numbers chapter 30, because we're going to, Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, excuse me. We're going to kind of back up and read the story here. We're going to get a glimpse of Caleb's attitude. So what made Caleb's attitude different? Let's look at this. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So let's look at that next point on your outline. Caleb had an attitude of faith. Caleb had an attitude of faith. What does it mean to have an attitude of faith? When you have an attitude of faith, you actually believe you can do what God says you can do. When you have an attitude of faith, you believe that you can do what God says you can do. Now, when I talk about attitude of faith, I'm not talking about just a positive attitude. I'm talking about an attitude of faith that is based and built on the promises of the Word of God. It's not just I'm going to be positive. No, I'm not just going to have a positive attitude. I'm going to have a faith-filled attitude because I'm actually going to believe that I can do what God said I can do. Caleb had an attitude of faith. Listen to what he said. He said, let us go up at once and take the land. And then look at that last statement. For we are well able. We are well able to overcome it. We are well able. We are well able to overcome the land. An attitude of faith does not just believe that God can do what God can do. An attitude of faith believes that you can do what God says you can do. See, most of us believe God can do what God wants to do. Most of us just don't believe we can do what God says we can do. God can do anything, but I can't do anything. God can co- conquer the impossible, but I'm really limited and unable to accomplish those things. But when you have an attitude of faith, you say, we are able. I am able to overcome the land. I actually believe that I can do what God says I can do. It's not just about believing God can do what God wants to do, but it's actually about believing that I can do what God says I can do. We are well able to overcome the land. Now think about an attitude of faith. Think about how that would impact your life. Think about personally. Think about personally what would happen if you began to have an attitude of faith. What about if you just looked in the mirror and saw yourself the way God sees you? Man, your life would change. If you just looked in the mirror and began to see yourself the way God sees you as a conqueror, as a child of God, as a victor and not a victim, if you just begin to look in the mirror and see yourself as, you, as God sees you, you're healed, you're delivered, you're redeemed, you're rescued, you're loved, you're favored, you are adored. God is going before you. God is on your favor. God is on your side. God is working on your behalf. Man, you know what would happen in your life if you just begin to look at yourself through the attitude of faith? Think about what would change. What about, what about spiritually? What if you began to have an attitude of faith in the realm of the Spirit? 
in spiritual things. I talk to so many people all the time, and they make little statements like, Pastor Keith, I just can't understand the Bible, and I really struggle with prayer, and I don't feel like I connect with God, and God can never use me. You know, I've, I've got such a shaded past, and I've made so many mistakes, and I just don't feel confident in what I, where I am right now, and there's no way God could use me. What if you begin to spiritually see yourself the way God sees you, and what if you had an attitude of faith in the area of your spiritual life? What if you actually began to believe that you have the mind of Christ and that you can discern and understand the Word of God? What if you actually opened your Bible with an attitude of faith? God, I thank you that today I'm going to learn something I've never learned. I'm going to hear something I've never heard. I'm going to see something I've never seen. I'm going to become something I've never become. Because your Word is life to me. What if you opened your Bible with an attitude of faith? What if you went to God in prayer with an attitude of faith? See, if you don't believe God's really listening, man, your prayer life is going to be shallow and empty and void and frustrating. You're going to constantly be discouraged. You're going to constantly walk away feeling empty and void. Man, you know how you know you have an attitude of faith when you pray? You walk away fired up. Right? It fills you, it empowers you, it equips you, it enables you. Why? Because you actually believe that the God of heaven and earth is listening to you. He says, call unto me and I will answer you. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father in heaven might be glorified. What if you actually went to prayer with an attitude of faith? What if you begin to serve God with an attitude of faith? What if you begin to say, you know what, God, I can do anything you called me to do. And if this is what you're calling me to do, I may not feel qualified, but your calling qualifies me. God, you said I could do it, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to get and pursue the life and the mission and the vision and the calling that you have for my life. So many people stand on the outside, well, I could never lead a small group. Well, I, I could never pray with anybody. I could never lead anybody to Christ. I could never teach a Bible study. Oh, I want you to understand, if that's what God's called you to do, you can and there is a purpose and a calling and a vision and a mission that God has for each and every person in this room. And until you embrace an attitude of faith, you'll never possess the promise God has for you. What about relationally? What would happen if you just began to have an attitude of faith relationally? You actually believe that God intended your marriage to be a good thing. You know, the Bible actually says that, that marriage is intended to be like heaven on earth. I heard one guy quote that, and he said, you know, in heaven there's a lot of thunder and lightning. And that's true. But how many you know, what if you begin to believe that your spouse was not your enemy, but actually your closest friend? What if you begin to believe that your kids were good and not evil? That they were not, right? Hey, I know who I'm talking to today, right? I understand. Sometimes you wonder, you look at your kids and you're wondering, right? And you, if you're not careful, you'll get a bad attitude towards your kids. Right, they go through a troubled time, they're making poor decisions, and if you're not careful, you'll get a bad attitude towards your children, and you'll begin to speak death over them instead of life over them. And that negative attitude will disconnect you from them instead of draw you to them. Let me tell you something, when your kids are in trouble, they don't need to be far from you, they need to be near you. There, let me just share this with the Holy Spirit just quicken this on my heart. There's a principle in, the, in, in, in biblical times about a shepherd. When a shepherd had a sheep that strayed away, you know what he would do? He would break its legs. He would break all, all four of its legs, and then everywhere <clears throat> that sheep went, the shepherd would tote it on his shoulders. And he would tote that sheep on its shoulders everywhere that it went. 
He would set it by the water so it could drink. He would set it in green pastures so it could eat. And while those, that sheep's legs were healing back up, he was daily toting that sheep on his shoulders. And what would happen is the sheep would become so accustomed to being near the shepherd that when he got his legs back under him, he would never stray away. But if you get a bad attitude toward people in your life, you'll push people away that God intended you to draw near. You'll push your relationship with your spouse away. You'll start distancing yourself from your spouse, and you just won't want to go home. I can't tell you how many men I've talked to and counseled over the years that got in trouble in their marriages, and they just stopped wanting to go home. They started wanting to be at church seven nights a week. I'm like, you can't be at church seven nights a week. You've got to go home. Well, I'd rather be here, Pastor Keith. Why? Because if you're not careful, you'll get a bad attitude. Right? Instead of an attitude of faith that believes that marriage is a gift from God intended to bring satisfaction and joy and life to you, it's not a curse, it's not a burden, it's not a ball and chain around your neck. I want to hit people in the mouth when they say that. This is my ball and chain. I'm like, come on, baby. No wonder you don't want to go home to your ball and chain. I wouldn't either. But if this is the wife of my youth, my beautiful bride, my love and my life, man, I can't wait to leave work every day and go home to my bride. Why? Because attitude matters. Attitude of faith. Think about your finances. What if you begin to have an attitude of faith in your finances? Most people are so negative when it comes to their finances. I used to have one of the worst negative attitudes toward finances. I used to make this statement, I hate money. I hate money, I hate money, I hate money, I hate money. I wish I could live without money. I just hate money. Why do we even have to have money? I just hate money. And people that say they hate money are bad with money. You've never met a rich person that walks around saying they hate money. People that hate money are bad with money. You know why they're bad with money? Because they got a bad attitude toward money. They got a bad attitude toward money. The Bible says it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to create wealth. Prosperity is a blessing from God. You mean you hate the blessing of God? You hate the blessing of God? You hate the resource, not the source. You hate the resource God intended to give to you so you could not only take care of your family but build the kingdom and advance the kingdom and take the gospel to the nations of the world? You mean you're hating the very thing God has intended to bless you with? Man, I'm just telling you, I had to have a major attitude adjustment when it came to money. And until you change your attitude, nothing changes. I've got to have an attitude of faith. You've got to have an attitude of faith. Look at that next statement on your outline. We've heard this before, right? Your attitude determines your altitude. Your attitude determines your altitude. You're either a grasshopper or you're a giant killer based on your attitude. Your attitude determines your altitude. How high you're going to climb, right? Your attitude determines your altitude. It sets the trajectory of your life. You know what Caleb, who had an attitude of faith, said? He says, we are well able to overcome. This is where his attitude set him. It had projected him into an overcoming mentality. The other ten spies says they are greater than us. They are bigger than us. They are stronger than us. They are mightier than us. We are not able. We are like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we are in their sight. Where's your attitude at? Because if you have a fear-based, doubt-based, worry-based, anxious-based attitude, you won't overcome, you'll be overcome. 
But if you have an attitude of faith, you'll overcome, right? Because it'll raise the altitude of your life. And you'll start shooting for the stars. You'll start seeing yourself not as a grasshopper, but as a giant killer. And let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what other people think about you, but it does 100% matter what you think about you. See, we spend a lot of time and energy in our social media world trying to impress other people. Right? We go out there, we take these perfect pictures of our family and perfect pictures of our life and perfect pictures right? we had the perfect meal and the perfect day and the perfect moment. And we take all those perfect pictures and we post them on Facebook. I mean Facebook. Because we want everybody to look at us and think we have a perfect life and they didn't know that immediately after you took that picture, everybody was yelling and screaming at each other. And that perfect meal, you dropped it on the floor and didn't even get to eat it. But we don't, we, don't, we don't post all that stuff, right? We post the perfect pictures because we want everybody to look at us and think, man, they've got it all together and don't they look wonderful? And we want people to admire us and look up to us and respect us. And all those things are good within a healthy balance. But let me just give you some revelation. What other people think doesn't mean a whole lot. What you think about you matters more than anything else. Ten spies saw themselves as grasshoppers. Two guys, Joshua and Caleb, said, we are giant killers and we are well able. Let us go up at once and take the land. That's your attitude. And that attitude that you have, whether it's an attitude of faith or fear, an attitude of faith or worry, an attitude of faith or unbelief, that attitude determines whether you win or whether you lose in the daily battles of life. Now let's look at the second attitude. Philippians chapter 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now look at verse 5, because verse 5 tells us where he's going here. Because in verse 3, and four, he's describing an attitude. Now look whose attitude he's describing. Verse five, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The attitude of Jesus. Look at verse six. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every, above all other names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at that next point. Jesus had an attitude of humility. Caleb had an attitude of faith. Jesus had an attitude of humility. What does that mean? An attitude of humility simply means this. It means that we think of others, we look out for others, and we serve others. When you have a humble attitude, you think of others, you look out for others, and you serve others. Do you realize none of us would be here today if Jesus would have had a prideful spirit? See, because a humble spirit is selfless. A prideful spirit is selfish. If you have a humble attitude, you think about other people, you look out for other people, and you serve other people. If you have a prideful spirit, you think about yourself, you look out for yourself, and you serve yourself. Oh, and don't we know that happens in our world today? 
There is an attitude of pride that has saturated our culture in which we live about where people think about themselves, they look out for themselves, and they serve themselves. But if Jesus would have had a prideful attitude, none of us would be here today. Because he would have never went to the cross. He would have never endured the pain and the suffering. He would have never walked through the valley and the trial and sorrow that he endured. But he did all that he do. What did? Why? Because he had a humble attitude. He humbled himself. He thought about us. He was looking out for us. And he served us. And today we are saved. We are redeemed. We are healed. And we are whole. Because Jesus was humble. Think about what a humble attitude would do in your life. Think about what it would do. Think about, think about spiritually. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make a little pastoral confession this morning. My greatest frustration that I have in the church is people that just come to church for years and sit, but never serve. That frustrates me. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I don't get frustrated at you. I get frustrated at me because I realize everything rises and falls on leadership. So I look at me and I say, okay, Keith, what are we not doing? What are we not saying? What are we not, how are we not training? What are we not doing to help people get involved and engaged? How do we get them out of the seat and begin to serve? Because this is what I understand. Think about what would happen spiritually if every person that called Liberty Church their church Walk through the doors of this building every Sunday with a humble attitude. You know what happened? You'd walk in here, and instead of thinking about what am I going to get today, you'd be thinking about what are other people needing today. Instead of looking out for what you want, boy, I hope they sing that song, and I hope they don't sing that song, and I hope Pastor Preach, Keith preaches today because I don't like when them other people preach. And Preach on, Pastor Keith. Preach on. And I wonder today where I could serve. Many years ago, we went from one service to two services on Sunday morning. And when we did that, we we struck gold. We discovered a treasure we never knew we were going to discover. And we discovered this treasure where now every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, there is this amazing opportunity that you can sit one and serve one. You can come and you need to come. And we want you to come every Sunday and sit sit in a chair and be ministered to. But we also want you to come every Sunday, not just to sit in a chair to be ministered to, but we want you to come every Sunday and sit in a chair and be ministered to and then get up and go out and serve somebody else that needs ministry. So you can sit and you can serve. Every Sunday, you can sit and you can serve. You can sit and you can serve. Well, you may not serve on Sunday. You might serve on Tuesday night. You might serve on Friday night. You might serve through the week, at, at uh, not at Celebrate Recovery, but it may be at a small group. There's a lot of opportunities to serve. You may be a part of our counseling ministry or outreach ministry. But the reality is, is God intended every believer not just to sit and be ministered to, but God intended every believer to sit and serve. So what would happen if we had a humble attitude that actually began to think about church Not just about what am I going to get, what am I going to hear, and what am I going to receive, but what if we actually walked into church every Sunday with a humble attitude that says, you know what, I've been thinking about. You know, I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about that 11 o'clock service. I've been thinking about those millennials that are coming to that 11 o'clock service, and they like the lights, the smoke, the sound. I can't stand that stuff. But I've been thinking about them. I've been thinking about their young families. And I've been thinking about the fact, you know what, they've got kids, little kids, and they're just trying to get their bearings in life. And what would happen if I came at 9 o'clock and I sat and got 9.30 and sat and got ministered to, and then I, I stayed at 11 o'clock 
Never entered the sanctuary because I can't stand the smoke and the mirrors and all the lights and stuff. But what if I served in the nursery so that the people that are coming in here 20 years old that, that needing Jesus, needing to learn to get some bearings in their life, needing to grow in the, in the Word of God and the truth of Scripture, what if I made sure their kids were being taken care of? What if I made sure there was a place for their kids to be loved on and encouraged and taught the Word of God so that those millennials could actually grow and one day they could become maybe as mature as you are? What would happen? What would happen? What would happen if we got a humble enough, humble enough to say, I'm not just going to think about me. I'm not just going to think about, look out for my interests, and I'm not just going to serve me. What if I begin to think about, look out for, and serve other people? See, we do three different venues of worship. The reason we do three different venues of worship is because we understand people don't like the same kind of music. So guess what? We were thinking about you, we were looking out for you, and we're trying to serve you. Now, why do we do that? Because our, our desire is that hopefully our humility will create humility in you where you'll say, you know what, they're creating an 8 o'clock service for me or a 9, 9.30 service for me or 11 o'clock service for me, and I can sit and then I can serve, and I can sit and I can serve because you know what, praise God, they're creating a place for me, but there's also a place for other people that are not like me, and they have kids, and they need to be greeted, and they need to be welcomed, and they need to be served, and they need to be taken care of, and I can be a part of the solution because I got a humble attitude like Jesus. Y'all excuse me for my little soapbox this morning. I told you it was the one thing that frustrates me. Think about that humble attitude. Think about what would happen relationally in our families. If you just went home today and said, I'm not just going to think about me. I'm not just going to look out for me. I'm not just going to serve me. I'm going to think about my family. I'm going to look out for my family. And I'm going to serve my family. What if every person in the family did that? Let me tell you what would happen. Heaven would come to earth. Your home would become a house of peace. A place of joy. Where love and laughter would fill the hallways of your home. Well, Pastor Keith, nobody in my family does that. So why don't you lead the way? Why don't you be the leader? Why don't you be the leader of the home? And why don't you embrace a humble attitude? Let's look at our last one. I want to share this with you because this is huge. Your attitude determines your authority. Your attitude determines your authority. God will favor you or God will oppress you, uh, uh, not oppress you, oppose you, excuse me, oppose you based upon your attitude. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, In this way you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, look at this, all of you should serve each other. Older serve younger, younger serve older. Husbands serve wives, wives serve husbands. Parents serve children, children serve parents. Each of you should serve each other in humility for God opposes the proud but favors or gives grace to the humble. Your attitude determines your authority. Let me unpackage that for you. The key to authority, Jesus said the key to greatness is humility. If you want to be great, you know what Jesus said? You've got to be humble. That's what he said. The key to greatness is humility. You want to have authority, then you've got to have a humble attitude. Now, let me show you how this works personally. See, the opposite of a humble attitude is a prideful attitude, right? Humility is selfless. Pride is selfish. So if you are prideful, you will never exercise authority even over your own flesh. And let me tell you why. Because if all you think about and all you look out for and all you serve is yourself, then when you try to discipline yourself and it starts to hurt, you won't tell yourself no. 
you won't tell yourself no. You'll never exercise authority over your own body. You wonder why we're killing ourselves, smoking, drinking, eating ourselves into an early grave? Because we have a prideful, self-centered, self-serving attitude. And when we try to discipline ourselves because of pride and a lack of humility, we don't have authority over ourselves to say no. Because when it gets uncomfortable, we say yes to our flesh because we want to look out for us and all we think about is us and all we serve is us. So we lack authority in our own personal lives because of pride. But when you embrace humility, guess what happens? Humility releases authority. And you stop thinking about yourself and looking out for yourself and just serving yourself and all of a sudden you're going to find authority over your own body to begin to do the things that you desire to do spiritually. Let me tell you, the greatest authority people, the greatest people I know that walk in spiritual authority are servants. Hands down every time. You show me a man or woman that has spiritual power and authority and I'll show you someone who has a humble attitude that thinks about other people, that looks out for other people, and that gives their life to serve other people. Those are the people that when I want prayer, I'm calling them. <laughs> Think about relationships. Think about relationships. Let, let, me, let me give you a positive spin on this thing. Men, I meet so many men that lack authority in their home. They lack authority in their home. And the reason they lack authority in their home is there is no humility in them. Authority is intended to protect and serve not control and manipulate. And when you operate out of a humble spirit, guess what? You think about your family, you look out for your family, and you serve your family. And let me tell you what happens every time you do that. You raise the bar of authority and influence that you have in your family. Because people respect and honor people that genuinely care about them. You want to raise the bar of authority in your relationships? then begin to take on a humble attitude. It changes everything. In your home, in your family, on your job. You want to have authority on your job? Be humble. Well, Pastor Keith, you don't know the people I work with. I'm humble. They'll just take advantage of me. No, they can't take advantage of you if you're doing it on purpose. Early on in ministry, I used to have people say, Pastor Keith, these people are taking advantage of me. I'm like, they're not taking advantage of me. I'm doing it because I want to. You can't take advantage of that. I'm not doing it because you're manipulating me. Dude. I'm doing what I do because I want to, because I have a humble attitude. I, I actually think about you, and I look out for you, and I want to serve you. And all of a sudden, guess what happens? That person that's manipulating everybody else can't manipulate you anymore. You begin to rise in authority, and all of a sudden, you have the loudest voice on the job. And you don't even have to raise your voice. But everybody begins to listen to you. Because that's what an attitude of humility does. Think about finances. We're going to close with this last thought. What would happen if you begin to look at your finances through an attitude of humility? God didn't just want to bless me. God wants to bless me so I can think about, look out for, and serve other people with my finances. I can think about, look out for, and serve other people with my finances. God hasn't just blessed me so I can get a bigger house and a nicer car. God has blessed me so I can look out for and serve other people that need a financial help. Last point on your outline. We're going to close with this. Here it is. It's a word of hope. There is hope. Guys, there's hope. 
There's hope. A small change can make a big difference. Let's just bow our heads today. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we prepare to close the sermon to get to the service today. I want to just give you one opportunity this morning. First of all, if you're here today and maybe you don't know Jesus, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I want you to understand Jesus loves you. He died for you. And he did it willingly. He didn't do it because he had to. He did it because he wanted to. Because of a humble spirit, he came to earth. He left his divine privileges as being God. He put on the the robe of humanity, and then he humbled himself, the Bible says, even unto death. Why? Because he was thinking about you, he was looking out for you, and he desires to serve you so you could be saved, so your sins could be forgiven, so your future could be sure. And if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, I've never truly accepted Jesus. I've never humbled my heart before him and ask him to be my Lord and Savior, but I want to do that today. I want to do that today. I want him to forgive me of my past and lead me into my future. And I realize he's the only one that can do that. And today I want to trust him as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I want to ask you just to stand up. That's all we're going to ask you to do. Just stand right where you're at right now. Just stand to your feet. And our usher is going to slip by. We're going to put a packet of information in your hand to help you take the next step. And I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. But it's a bold act of faith just to stand. Pastor Keith, today I want to humble my heart before God. I want to ask Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, just stand to your feet. As the people are beginning to stand, this is your moment. If you're standing, just remain standing. We're going to give you something, but just remain standing. We're going to pray together. Just about 30 seconds. If you want to stand right now, this is your time. Pride leads to destruction. But God gives grace and mercy to those who humble themselves. So right now, as people are standing up all over this building, don't let pride keep you from saving grace. Don't let pride keep you out of heaven. Don't let pride keep you from the forgiveness and the grace that only Jesus Christ can give. Don't let pride do that. Right now, God loves you. Send his son Jesus to die on the cross for you so you could be free. We're going to pray together. If you're standing, I'm just going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud with me. And I'm going to ask everybody to join me here today. Here we go. A very simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and life. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, you can be seated if you're standing this morning. God bless you. Praise God. Well, we love you this morning. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. You are dismissed.